Well, look, it's uh, lovely to be with you tonight. Uh, for those who may not know, uh, my name is, and it probably doesn't matter to you what my name is, but it's polite to introduce oneself. Um, yeah, hopefully it doesn't mean bad things, but my name is Peter Riggs, um, and uh, I'm not from around these parts anymore. Uh, we spent quite a bit of time uh, down in Aberfall Park, where I was, uh, worked as a youth pastor there, and uh, we got, um, when Rachel and I got married, and Rachel spent a lot more time here at Coro, so much so that I went to the old church and found it's, it's changed. Um, I should have realised, I didn't GPS it, I thought I was very familiar with where things were, but you've got a lovely orchard there at the old building, and it's going very well, uh, but I do like what you've done here, this is, this is wonderful. Um, so yeah, Rach grew up here actually, sort of in her mid-teens, and so I look out now and see uh, a lot of people who shared life with her and encouraged her, and, and thank you for when she introduced me to you, you just said, hang in there with him, because he's going to be okay uh, by the end. Uh, it's really good to be back. So currently now, uh, I have me and the family, we've got four kids, sort of 16 down to nine, and we live in uh, Manopara. Has anyone been north of Jeps Cross before? Okay, well, see, if you get to Jeps Cross, there's a lot more of Adelaide still to be found. And even when you get to Salisbury, there's still more. And Elizabeth, there's even more again. And almost a goal or an in-between there is uh, the uh, Playford Uniting Church, which is where I've been the pastor there for the last seven years. We celebrated our seventh birthday today. And uh, so it was, it's a good day. It's a good day to be here. But it was a really good morning this morning as we celebrated uh, what God's doing in the north. Uh, but it does feel a bit like coming home here. And so it's lovely to have some hills, lovely to have a bit of, you can go up things, uh, except just for the Elizabeth City Centre lifts. You know, there's a whole lot of things, um, but it's really, really good to be here. I said I've got four kids and uh, we have pets. Who's got pets in your house? Who's got pets? Crinkle it. They just go nuts and they, they squeak. They just go crazy. Uh, it, it extends to any bag of any type. So it was incredible because just this morning I opened some disinfectant wipes and they went nuts as well. And so they're really into cleaning, and uh, which is really, really helpful. But as you might know, they're animals, right? I mean, they still are animals. They're cute and cuddly and, and very sweet and like people really. But still, um, I'm very attached to them. But they are animals. And we know that they've got this involuntary response. It's almost like as soon as they hear a bag, they just must respond. If any of you have ever heard of Pavlov's dogs, ring the bell, the dog salivates. Uh, apparently, I've never read it, but apparently that's, that's what it does. So there's this instinctive reaction that they cannot control. It's just there. I haven't seen one of them stop the other and go, shh, 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 it's disinfectant, don't do it. You know, like there's no, for them, there's no concept. Even if I did it in front of them, there's no concept. They just have this reaction. I wonder whether you and I have a similar involuntary response when we consider Christmas. It already begins some things stirring in us or churning in us. Some of the feelings that we put away for some 10 months of the year all seem to return. Does anyone have some kind of reaction to Christmas? Some involuntary response that when you think about Christmas... You already dive into a course of action. Who, uh, for, who is it? It's the presents. Who, when you think of having to get presents, where's, is that your involuntary action? For whom is it? It's the family that we're going to have to try and negotiate. Yeah, that's from the younger ones. So a bit of work to do, some of these guys. Uh, hopefully that's a good reaction. 
Oh yeah, good reaction, excellent. For some of you, it's all the events that have to happen. It's, it is the work dinners. It's everything that, it, it's, is it the busiest time of the year, do you think, almost? Pretty much. And there's this immediate reaction. And I think, unfortunately, we live in a world where we are constantly, dare I say, being stimulated by stuff. And it feels like we're constantly reacting. And, and in that same space, we're constantly having to, things are being demanded of us. And sometimes, I don't, to be honest, it even feels like Christmas is another demand that gets placed on us. And even in church world, if you're part of a church, Christmas is a crackingly busy time, isn't it, for you? Can I just have a really honest show of hands? For those people who are currently involved in churches, who wishes they could just get a Christmas off? <laughs> yeah. Pastors are putting up their hands. This is, yeah. But you know, because there's so much that comes with it and it almost feels involuntary. I want to take us back to that Christmas story that the Vicar of Dibley beautifully shared with us this morning. Oh, this morning. There I go. Involuntary response. We only ever meet in mornings. Uh, Where I come from. Um, But uh, I want to take us back to that first Christmas story. It comes out of the book of the Bible, which is Luke. And it's really interesting when the different books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, take. in fact, John takes no aspect really of the Christmas story. But Matthew... Uh, and Matthew and, and Luke are the primary sources for our Christmas stories, and they're different. They, they pick up different emphases. They've got different things they wanted to say to the communities to whom they were writing. There were things about this birth of Jesus Christ that they wanted them to hear. And we're going to hear Luke's version of events. Have a listen. Uh, I'm actually going to... Oh, no, let me, let me take us back. We've got a little bit of time. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. I love it when the Bible has brackets in it because, you know, the people writing it down said, oh, it's important that they need to know a little more information about that. So in brackets, just so you know, Quirinius, it's just really cool. It makes it seem very real, doesn't it? Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And we've sung this tonight. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. So when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds, would make it sound so normal, of course they would, back into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby. 
glad they put that there, you know, <laughs> who was lying in the manger. And when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning about what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. I dare say it's a very familiar story, one which has led to a number of wonderful Christmas cards with smiling animals and almost as if they know exactly who's in the room with them, a bit like my guinea pigs. And we have this almost, there's an otherness about this family. You know, we imagine them with halos around their heads and, and, and constant choirs of angels and we just imagine this most spiritual and wonderful of scenes. But I don't know about you, but maybe even hearing the story again tonight, it's not quite what we read, is it? I want to suggest to you this evening that there's some things we actually can discover about who God is through this very story. There's some things that we can pick up about how God desires to be known. And even some things that might really surprise us when we consider what we think about what God might be like if there is a God. I spent a bit of time this week in amongst some other things that I'll talk about just at the end of the message. Uh, considering what we might glean from this, and I'm going to briefly run through a couple. This is really designed to spark some thoughts in you. And, uh, yeah. The first thing that strikes me about what, what we have written for us and shared with us today is the vulnerability of the whole situation. Um, the, the, and I think it's very difficult for us in the 21st century to grasp what the first century is actually like. I think we think we've got a fair idea because we watch documentaries or we watch Game of Thrones or something. We get an idea of what history was like. We've lived it, you know, through Netflix. But, but I think one thing we can take away as we read it even this, this afternoon, even tonight, is the incredible vulnerability of this scene. Of God choosing to make himself known as an infant, as a, as a baby born. You know, the infant mortality rate, I did some research. I only found one article in the whole of the world speaking to infant rate mortality of the first century, Jerusalem, thereabouts. So having said that, you can take it with a grain of salt. I don't have a backup to this. But the one article in the whole world seem to suggest that it's about 30% of children didn't live beyond one. Now, we're at the other end of the story, and we know Jesus survived. But the vulnerability of what took place nurturing an infant in that first century just seems so full of risk. It seems, dare I say, foolish if you wanted this plan to work, this plan to reveal who you were to the world. Any of us who have had children, I'm not one of those, but I have had four that have come into our family through someone else who's had children. 
knows that you have this feeling of absolute horror when you first hold your baby in your arms. Who shared something like that? Horror, not at their features or anything like that, not, not that sort of horror, but they just seem like they could break at any instant. Like you literally have no idea what you are going to do. And you hold them in your arms. And you think initially that all that crying will always be there and it will continue for 18 years until it just stops by itself. You actually have no idea about how really to stop it or what to do. Or maybe that's just me. I've got to work through this clearly. Clearly I've had some some issues. Um, And you discover in that very same instant there is this incredible strength or even, I don't know what to even describe it as. Well, life is just beating in this little one and there is something incredibly strong about this whole scene that just blows your mind. And not only have you got an infant, but you've given it to probably a teenage girl. Now, you and I know teenage girls. We probably wouldn't do that. You know, like if if you had to plan it, if you had to plan it for absolute success and guaranteed success. But we seem to have here a God who has a most wonderful way And maybe even a a delight in approaching us entirely differently. Not in a way that would seek to command your attention, but actually to draw your attention. Not in a way that actually would slam you, stand in front of you with his presence, but actually would actually, like he did with the shepherds, give you a sign. It's really interesting that we have described for us the, the angels coming and saying that a sign's given to you that this saviour has been born. And the sign is it's of a, a, a mum and a dad, a little infant in a stable, you know, in a, with a manger. Um, I don't know about you, about how many, um, or the power of a sign and the significance of a sign. I don't know how many of us walk around our suburb wherever you are from, and look at the roofs of houses. Just on your walks, find yourself just stopping and looking at a roof and going, wow, that's, that's a good roof. But I guarantee if someone has a sign saying, roofing being done by Jim and his family, roofing designs, that sign gets your attention, doesn't it? That's why they put a sign there, because no one's looking at the roof until you pay for that very expensive sign. (laughs) Or we'll do it cheap if you can put a sign. So there's something about where that directs us. And that's where we find ourselves with this young father and mother and an infant. And we have this picture of vulnerability. And there's something really powerful about vulnerability. And have you noticed this in people you meet? That if someone's honest with you, you find yourself able to be honest with them? In Australian, generally, in our culture, I think we're very suspicious of people who pretend they know all the answers, think they know how it all works. And I think some of us, 
and our experience of church might be the church is the group of people that think they've got it going on and they're trying to tell us all the time. But I think there's something about vulnerability that again invites us to come closer. That invites us, dare I say, even deeper into the story. But I'm not sure at the same time we're too good with vulnerability. Who here likes to feel vulnerable? No one's raised their hand. Exactly. Those moments where you feel like your guard is down. And it is a, it, for some of us, in fact all of us, it's a really unnerving place to be. Our son is, uh, has turned 16, and you know what that means. He doesn't do anything around the house. No, not really. Um, uh, he, he can get his licence, his driver's licence. Anyone here 16? Just to show. Have you got your licence yet? Wow. How's everyone who knows you and loves you feel about that? <laughs> yeah, you don't care. See, that's the problem. Um, but I've got to say... Vulnerability and loving someone actually brings vulnerability. It reduces me to a bit of a nervous kind of wreck. Now, not entirely nervous because I know he has to get his license, but the thought about my son, he doesn't seem ready. Now, any of you met Josh, you probably agree, but he doesn't seem ready. But that is a father's heart and or a mother's heart or a grandma's heart or an uncle and auntie's heart because that which is precious now is, in a sense, on his own terms. And I think what we see in this Christmas story is a God who makes himself vulnerable. But it's not weakness. It's not weakness. And in fact, what I'm trying to learn, I'm not letting Josh get his licence till he's 29, but still, um, no, what I need to learn is that vulnerability and feeling it is an expression of love and actually receiving it and, and giving it. And so rather than allow vulnerability to stop me or stop my son from driving, I need to acknowledge my vulnerability and give him over. And I think for some, some of us, the Christmas story is one which actually can make us feel very vulnerable. Because in a sense where we're coming to a place where we're asking God, what do you like? What, what do you like? And I think some of us pull back at that point and go, I'm not ready for it. At church this morning, we we had a a celebration of the the years that we've had as a church, as I said. And um, we had four people sharing this story of how their life has changed. And truly, it was how God has has changed them. Not everyone used that language. 
One person simply said, I just, when my husband who's in the army goes away, I don't feel afraid anymore. Another bloke shared about uh, his story and his journey with, and battle with mental illness. Then he met a mate at a men's shed who said, why don't you come to church? And he said, I've just found, I had a great mum, he said, but I never had a dad and I just find that God is just like my, just the greatest dad of all. And he's 50 and he's up in front just sharing his story. We got an email this week from a guy who was, or a Facebook message, a guy who said, look, I'm just, I'm really into science, but I, I'm just checking out what church thinks about things. Is it okay if I come? And then someone was sharing, a guy whose parents named him after a famous atheist because they were staunch atheists. They had you know, nothing to do with God. So they named him after their most famous atheist who then said that six months ago, uh, I came to this church as an atheist and now I've got to tell you, I've met Jesus. Um, but all of those stories required us to work through our vulnerability in the sense of accepting that there might be more than what I know. There might be more. The angels come to the shepherds. I'm going to finish up with this. The angels come to the shepherds. And it is this wonderful event. Here we talk about a God who comes humbly in a manger in stable or back of a cave or somewhere in around that sort of area. And just down the road nearby, an angel appears in the sky. Well, actually, the heavenly host, they come later, but an angel comes. And don't you love it? Every time, I don't know if you've ever read the Bible much, but every time an angel appears, everyone freaks out. And it's funny, the, the actual, the, the, the Bibles we have written in English, but they were translated from Greek. And the Greek actually says they were filled, they were terrified with a real terror just for double emphasis. They were afraid, really, really afraid. It is this beautiful moment where we have both this humility and this vulnerability and this absolute declaration of power just down the road. A God who invites us is a God who declares. It's not a God who's just mysterious and hoping you pick some stuff up. There's that aspect of the mystery of God, which I'd encourage you to explore a little more. Just Because so often we can put God in our small box and, and God's controllable and God exists on Sundays or He comes at Christmas. But the God appeared in, oh, no, an angel came, sent, my God, and gives this incredible declaration don't be afraid. And that makes no difference to them, I'm sure. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign. You'll find the baby wrapped in, in his folding clothes. It's really interesting that the, the, the angel simply gives a declaration, a testimony, if you like. It doesn't tell the shepherds to do anything. Just announces. Just announces. Now, if it was me, I would be an angel, right? And I would give the news and then I'd have this great arrow which would point and go, that's the way to head. Let's go. You know, we somehow, I don't mean to be flippant about it, but I want you to hear this, that 
again, there was a sense where, where God is God and doesn't need us to do anything. In fact, no matter how well or dodgily I preach tonight, it has no influence on who God is. I'm trying to do my best, but you know what I mean. Because I think sometimes we love the Jesus in the manger bit. We're happy with that, but we're not happy with the God who declares in the heavens that I'm real. And don't you love the language? I give you good news of great joy. Oh, man. Good. We don't get enough good news. And we're not seeing enough joy. Man, who would not be intrigued by what's on offer here? Good news of great joy for all people. But I honestly think that sometimes we can live in this, with this idea that when the Bible speaks in his story of all people, it's not talking about me. Just this week, I mentioned it was an interesting week. Do you know how, uh, and you might have had these experiences where, um, have you ever left something valuable in your car, say a wallet or an office bag of all your stuff you haven't backed up, and you leave it in the car, and in the morning you get into your car and you hadn't locked it, and you look at your wallet and go, oh man, that was close. Has anyone ever had that experience? Yeah, yeah. Have you had the experience where you're looking for your bag, to discover that it's not there and then you go to the car and discover that actually it looks like it's been opened up during the night and the bag that you'd left in the back of your car and forgotten about because you had groceries to take in and didn't come back and lock it, that's your bag and your laptop and everything's gone. You know, the work you hadn't backed up over four years of staff and the new bag, the new leather bag, I never had a leather bag that my parents gave me. I did tell mum about this, so it is on record, but, and that's also gone. And the new big print Bible, because your eyesight's not as good as it was, and the new Bible, the leather bound that just sort of folds and just flows with God's Word, that's also been taken. And you know this, one, because you don't have it anymore. You also know it because your neighbour, who uh, has snakes and uh, all this other stuff in his house, uh, which is all interesting, and we have guinea pigs, um, uh, and who has closed circuit TV and is training to be a private investigator, uh, and then got everyone else in the street who has closed circuit TV, and they've all linked it together. And so you can see these two gentlemen loved by God, who, um, but I've got to believe that, who have um, given gestures to people with cameras, so, yeah, and then robbed the people who don't have cameras uh, and leave their car doors open. So that was the events of Tuesday night. So... Hence why I've just got paper and I've written it almost by hand. Um, but the interesting thing is, you're probably thinking, well, that, it's fine because insurance covers that. You know, like you, it covers all people. <laughs> like everyone's included. And then you ring your church insurer and they say, well, oh, funny thing, because it wasn't stolen from church, we don't, oh, we don't cover you. And then you ring your house of contents and they go, actually, we might cover you. Let me just make a quick call, put you on hold. You think, this is great because God's going to come through. And they come back and say, oh, look, sorry, we do. You do have coverage for open air, which is where your car was. I said, oh, brilliant. Yeah, but we don't actually cover laptops. Mm, yeah. Oh, that's fine. No, 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 no. I'm really happy not being included in all people in this instance. 
this, this promise that this is good news of great joy for all people is ridiculous. Like ridiculous. Because everything in us in life does not apply to all people. There are boundaries and there are limits and there's small print. There's everything. There's no small print in God's story that you are invited into, not forced into, dare I say even wooed into, stirred into, drawn into, invited. This whole story is invitation. And I know you might have met people maybe in times, folks, where you didn't feel particularly invited. You felt told and you just wanted to go, tell you what I think. No, look at you. None of you punched anyone. That's excellent. Um, But we never, we don't want to be told stuff, particularly that you might need something more than what you have. But there's this incredible freedom, dare I say vulnerability, when we find ourselves in a place where we are open to God. We discover in Jesus Christ. Can I invite the team to come, come back up? So I've spoken of vulnerability. I've spoken, hopefully, honestly. And an invitation. And that's really what struck me as I was thinking about the whole week and coming here tonight. With so many other things in our lives are demands that are placed upon us. There are things that we don't feel like we're in control anymore. And yet, in a sense, we want to control it. But a bit like my guinea pigs, we just feel drawn along with. But you know, what I want to suggest as we just close up is that I believe there's actually a deeper drawer in us, which is one which is placed in us as people who've been made by God and made for God. And I love the fact you've all chosen to come tonight and if this is a new thing for you and I've just leapt into it, I don't quite know whether I'm doing it like normal, but I suspect I am. But can I encourage you to continue with this group of people? Even if things are very hazy or very clear, because God is not just the God of a book or God of a story. He's actually God of people. And if you've come along with someone tonight or someone invited you, they're the people you want to get into and go, can you, I'm just curious, why does this work for you? Why is this story taking hold of you? Uh, yeah, and maybe be prepared to be vulnerable knows what you might discover. Let's pray. Uh, Loving God, I thank you for the beautiful space we're in. Thank you for the work that's gone into creating an environment. I thank you for the invitation that I received to come. And I thank you for the efforts that we have made to, in a sense, recreate something of beauty and of awe something that in some ways is beyond us and yet seems so close. For God, today I believe that You are the God of the manger and the God of the heavens. I thank You for Your love for us that You would send Jesus Christ. 
born into an ordinary place to find ordinary people like us. Father, thank You for every person here and every family represented. And I do pray blessing on this Christmas season, not just that we'd survive it, but Lord, in the midst of it, there would be something true that we would find. something hope-filled that we would find and that we would receive your good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.